Before we get to today's show, I'd like to hear from you. This show is nothing without our listeners, and we want to make sure we provide you with what you're looking for. Our mailbox is open to all suggestions. So if you have a topic you want to learn about, or a guest you want to hear from, let us know by sending us an email to jagahealthandwellness at gmail.com. That's C-H-A-G-A-H-E-A-L-T-H-N-W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S at gmail.com. Now, enjoy the episode. What brings people together more than fishing and hunting? How about food? I'm Chef Antonio Maleca, and I have spent years catering to the stars. Now, on Outdoor Journal Radio's Eatin' Wild podcast, Louise, Hooksat, and I are bringing our expertise and Rolodex to our real passion, the outdoors. Each week, we're bringing you inside the boat, tree stand, or duck blind and giving you real advice that you can use to make the most out of your fish and game. You're going to flip that duck breast over once you get a nice hard sear on that breast. You don't want to sear the actual meat. And it's not just us chatting here. If you can name a celebrity, we've probably worked with them. And I think you might be surprised who likes to hunt and fish. When Kit Harrington asks me to prepare him sashimi with his bass, I couldn't say no. Whatever Taylor Sheridan wanted, I made sure I had it. Burgers, steak, anything off the barbecue. That's a true cowboy. All Jeremy Renner wanted to have was lemon ginger shots all day. Find Eating Wild now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts. As the world gets louder and louder, the lessons of our natural world become harder and harder to hear, but they are still available to those who know where to listen. I'm Jerry Olette, and I was honored to serve as Ontario's Minister of Natural Resources. However, my journey into the woods didn't come from politics. Rather, it came from my time in the bush and a mushroom. In 2015, I was introduced to the birch-hungry fungus known as chaga, a tree conch with centuries of medicinal applications used by indigenous peoples all over the globe. After nearly a decade of harvest, use, testimonials and research, my skepticism has faded to obsession, and I now spend my life dedicated to improving the lives of others through natural means. But that's not what the show is about. My pursuit of this strange mushroom And my passion for the outdoors has brought me to the places and around the people that are shaped by our natural world. On Outdoor Journal Radio's Under the Canopy podcast, I'm going to take you along with me to see the places, meet the people that will help you find your outdoor passion and help you live a life close to nature and under the canopy. So join me today for another great episode and hopefully we can inspire a few more people to live their lives under the canopy. Okay, welcome to the show, Hugh, and thanks very much for taking the time to be here. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. Yeah, no problem. So tell us, uh, tell us, Hugh, tell us about your business. Now, first, before we get into that, I should say that a lot of the podcasts, and people might be wondering why we're talking about propane in this case, and he will go into that because he's the expert, but we get a lot of inquiries from a lot of off-grid people about propane uses and things like that. So how do you use it in the places? So that's why we want to move forward with this, but tell us a bit about your business, Hugh. Well, I uh, propane is, like you said, it's not a very glamorous thing, but we're, we're in the propane business. I work for a big company called Superior Propane. They've been around since 1951. And uh, they're uh, a great Canadian story. They're the largest propane company in Canada, but uh, they have 2,000 employees in Canada that distribute and and deliver propane. But we're also uh, in the United States now. We bought up a whole bunch of U.S. propane companies, and we're the fourth largest uh, propane company in North America now. So I'm I'm an employee that Superior Propane, and I'm in uh, business development and uh, and sell propane. And I get up every morning and and try and help people use this great fuel in all these really cool and exotic ways. It's awesome. <laughs> well, that's the fourth largest. That's amazing. And now in the States, that's that's a good Canadian uh, his, uh, story. success story. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. It's a great company. Uh, in the United States, it's under a company called Superior Plus. And in, uh, okay. and we maintain the names of the, of the companies that we acquired. So it's 
but that is the holding company. And in Canada, we use the brand Superior Propane as the marketing entity of Superior Plus in Canada. Very good. Well, so you tell us actually, what is propane and how do they make it? Like, what is propane? A lot of people, you know, they, these are some of, some of the questions that I find off from a lot of the off-grid sites that I'm associated with and, and monitor. And, and so I thought I'd bring up the question. So what is propane and basically how do they make propane? Well, I think the best way to think about propane, I mean, it's everywhere around you and I'll explain why, but it's it looks like if you took a bottle of water and put it in front of you, that's what propane looks like. It's clear, it's colorless, and naturally it has no odor. So we add our odors, humans, um, an odor called ethyl mercaptan. Just it's you don't have to remember uh, the name. It's like an old lady's name, ethyl mercaptan, like a okay. captain, but it's basically sulfur. Um, we add so, uh, before we even get it as marketers, the ref- refineries uh, add this sulfur smell to it that makes it smell like rotten eggs and boiling cabbage. But you'd be surprised how much propane is around you as a normal citizen. Um, if you ever used hairspray, bug spray, paint spray, all of those rules, because of the CFC rules, uh, were stopped in the 70s. They use a propellant, and that's propane. They use non-stench propane to create a propellant. So people are afraid of propane, but it's they've been spraying it in their hair since the 80s, you know, in hairspray. No, I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, so, so that's one of the uses of propane. And, and as, as you recall, as a Minister of Natural Resources, propane is one of the greatest exports that this country has. We export probably 95 times the amount of consumption that the Canadian market even uses. So we're almost like uh, a Saudi Arabia when it comes to exporting propane. It's propane is used all over the world. It is the, it's used in auto propane in, in, in most countries as their number one fuel. Um, it's a, it's a great, it's a great fuel. So it looks like, it looks like water. It's, it's in your, if you think about it, your barbecue tank inside there, if you could see through your propane tank, it's clear, colorless, and the liquid boils and produces vapor. And that's what you burn, this beautiful blue flame. That's what you're burning. So propane can be used in all sorts of manners. And the way it, it's, it's made is traditionally it was made um, as, you know, when they refine crude, crude oil and they create mm-hmm. gasoline, propane was a byproduct. Propane and butanes were byproducts. These were the lighter gases. Um, now they find um, propane through shale gas delivery uh, discoveries. So if you pipe down 500 meters below the surface and you break up the shale, you have all of this liquid natural gas. And in that natural gas, liquids is propane. Propane and natural gas are almost identical fuels. But the cool thing about propane, you put it under a little bit of pressure and it turns into a liquid. And that pressure, you just put it in a propane tank, like a, ta- like a steel vessel, and you yeah. now carry an incredible amount of energy and what, what consumers don't really realize is that that little barbecue tank they have at their house is like 270 barbecue tanks of vapor gas. You have an incredible amount of energy in such a small space. And that's propane. So there's, there's also renewable propane being built now. Um, so we can take um, plastics and turn okay. them around. Um, we can now add, add moisture, hydrogen. And then we create um, we create propane from that, or from biomass, we can create propane as well, renewable propane. Tell us a bit more about the making of propane. And first of all, you you talked about it being from a petroleum based fuel as a byproduct. And I think you mentioned there was uh, butane as well and some other materials. Maybe you can just elaborate on that a bit. Well, propane uh, traditionally is made from refining oil. Uh, so propane is produced during the refining of crude oil. One way of making it. And crude oil contains a range of hydrocarbons of different weights. So during that refining process, crude oil is heated and it's distilled in towers, kind of like alcohol is distilled. Okay, yeah. And different hydrocarbons are separated based on their boiling points. So propane is being a relatively light hydrocarbon because it has only three hydro, three carbons, is separated from the heavier components that are collected, like diesel and oil. And so natural gas is also one of these um, fuels that is, is, is separated, and it's lighter than air. So natural gas, if it leaks, it will leak hot, uh, and raise up. It will be higher than uh, raise up out of the air and, be, and go right. leak to lo- 
high areas. And propane is heavier, just slightly heavier than air. So it will, if it's leaking, it will leak to low line areas. But basically that's how propane is made. So basically we, you know, they take the old days, they used to take a barrel oil and they, they crack it, the barrel oil. And then those are all the, the different hydrocarbons are separated. And that's how majority of propane was separated at that spot. Now with the discovery of, of uh, shale gas discovery, we, we basically pipe um, 500 meters below the surface and break up the shale. And during okay. that breaking up the shale, those hydrocarbons, including propane, are, are extracted. And so the, uh, during that processing, the processing plants, they'll, they'll take the impurities like water and sulfur compounds and heavy hydrocarbons out of that shale gas and they'll separate the natural gas and propane, and that's why we've got an incredible amount of natural gas and propane in Canada. So when you take this barrel of oil, yeah, and you, so you basically separate it into the various gases, and there's, I, I, I guess there's no oil left over from the barrel? Is that yeah. how that works? Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, they, they, their goal back in the day was to get gasoline. So they would crack yes. a barrel of oil, get the gasoline. That's their number one goal. Propane was this byproduct, and and they didn't know what to do with it. That and natural gas, they used to just burn this stuff. And then they found a whole business that, what an incredible fuel that you can turn it into a liquid and transport it in these very low-cost cylinders, and now you can use it to power forklifts, you can use it to heat homes, you can use it to uh, run uh, heat factories, you can power vehicles with it. So it was this incredibly dynamic fuel uh, that that was kind of like it was this separated gas that they just didn't really want it, and uh, and that's what created the propane industry. Wow! So, and you mentioned that about ninety five times what's produced here is 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 sent out as a commodity out of Canada. Yeah. So uh, Canada is almost like a Saudi Arabia when it comes to propane. We we ship out um it goes to the to the rail cars to the uh the coast so we ship out about 95 times more than we actually consume in the canadian market so you think of all the propane being used in the canadian market we use maybe last month we used four million barrels of the stuff but we shipped out 340 million barrels last month into um exporting it which is great for the country Yeah, actually. And where does it mostly come out of? Like, is it mostly out of Alberta or high, um, or on the East Coast? Alberta is very rich because of the tar sands, for sure, and that refining there, for sure. Um, but a lot of it now is 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 uh, the shale gas discovery. So, it, in, in fact, Quebec is sitting on the Marcellus shale, and uh, there's been a moratorium for pulling the shale gas out of there. But what it's sitting on one of the largest reserves of propane and natural gas in the world um, is just below Montreal. Um, I, me- I remember the story where they they tapped into it and they, and uh, they flared it just to you know reduce the pressure and they couldn't shut the flare stack off for an entire week. Oh really? <laughs> there's so much energy below uh, below Montreal there because of the Marcellus. But that's there's two ways to get propane is 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 getting a crude oil, crude oil, and processing it. And then the shale gas discoveries is incredible amount of energy that we have in Canada because of the shale gas uh, discoveries. So is there a downside to taking the shale gas out? Like when you take it out of the environment, does it have a negative impact? Well, I think when they first started, they used, you know, you got a, you got a pipe really below, really deep, and you would, you would go through uh, the water table and so there's huge uh, rulings to go through a water table. Basically, you're shoving a pipe through a water table. You're, you're entering the water table, then you're going below yeah. it. You're going well, well below it. Um, so there's no issues about like the the full floor collapsing in the environment where you know all of a sudden we're gonna have these holes in Montreal. That's that's not the case. There's, it's the shale is caught between pieces of shale. There's an t- incredible amount of energy down there, but it's so so far below the surface. Doesn't affect anything on the geographical above the surface. But going below that water table was a concern, and um, you know there's r- rules there. Have to cement uh, basically encasement of the pipe. Um, and that the pipe is 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 secured, and and they they extract very quickly, and then they're done, 
and those uh, those uh, pipes are uh, are extracted and it doesn't affect the water table but you know that was the concern back in the day and and right. there's a lot of a lot of regulations around it and it's a very safe practice sounds interesting i had no idea about the shale gas um and propane, the, the links there at all. Now, another question then would be because there's a lot of discussions about removing shale gas and the impacts on what's happening. Would you know about the impact on the Titanic plates? Is it something that is a lubricant for the Titanic plates in the first place? Or any idea about that or ever had a discussion about that? Because this is something I had no idea about. I think it's just a small it's a small amount uh, uh, compared to the sheer size of the the planet. It's a it's a tiny tiny amount of uh, I guess you could say lubricant or whatever between the shales. But I wouldn't be concerned at all. Um, we've got a big planet, and uh, this tiny tiny sliver of 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 gas gases there. Um, yeah. It's not gonna not gonna affect anything. Yeah, that's good to hear. Um, how long, when you process propane, how long does it last? Well, that's a good question. I mean, um, if you think about it, you put a propane, uh, you know, people see a propane tank at a house or you've got a cottage or whatever. How, how long does that propane last inside that tank? You'd be surprised to know that it will last for 50 years in its liquid and vapor state and will, and will uh, never change states. After about 50, maybe 100 years, you're going to start seeing that um, that propane will, will maybe it's possible that to, it would turn it back into a, an oil. It would, what looks like an oil, but propane lasts a long, long time inside of uh, of a tank. So if you think compared to gasoline, what a month, three months, your gasoline can is uh, unless you're putting some additives in it, your gasoline's no good. Propane lasts fifty years in a tank. Don't even worry about it. Hmm. Okay. Then. What are the ways that they store propane? And I'm not talking just about the, the tanks that, uh, you know, the 20, 30, you know, the, the 10, 20, 30, 40, 100 pound tanks and larger. Um, a lot of that is used for transporting back and forth. And it's a regular usage and filling up when you're doing your barbecue or whatever you're using it for. But what? how do they store propane? And this is kind of a leading question because being the minister, I had to sign off on storage in different ways. How do they store propane for large volumes? Well, uh, typically propane, you can think about it, for, it comes from the refinery in Alberta and it's piped all the way across Canada. Then it dips into the United States, uh, into Michigan, and then it comes up back into Canada. And then it's stored in, propane is stored in specifically designed tanks like pressure vessels. We call them pressure vessels in our business and cylinders, of course, once it gets down the down to a plant. But yeah, the, they're above ground tanks. They can be above ground. These are large cylindrical tanks that are located outdoors. Um, they're, they're they're giant in size. They may hold ninety thousand gallons of propane, and that's typically how propane is stored at the refineries and it's stored at plants. Um, the refineries also store them in salt caverns. If you can believe that, we actually pump salt caverns once we have a ton of fuel especially in ontario we've got these empty salt caverns we we pump propane into those salt caverns and we store it because we obviously you know that most of it's used during the winter time and then they extract it at that time there's also underground tanks they've got those same tanks that are protected for the underground they can be buried in uh, high uh, land areas that require you know if you don't want to see the tank a consumer can hide their tank the residential tank in the ground uh, they do that a lot in Florida, uh, or if you're in a city area or a very congested area and you want to put the tanks, you can bury the tanks below the surface, and uh, that's where the propane tanks are. So, and it's not a problem burying those tanks. And is it a different tank that they bury below when they're using it for personal use, like their households? Uh, no, no, it's it's actually it's it's this, the the steel. It's the same steel tank, same valves. Uh, the valves are a little bit different. They've, there's a shroud there. You go it. You bury a tank six feet below, but there's a special coating on the tank that protects the tank for the longevity of how long it's going to be underneath uh, the ground. And then we have these sacrificial bags, I guess, kind of like your water heater. There's this, you know, in your water heater, you've got this rod in your water heater that is your kind of sacrificial rod that doesn't allow your water heater to to corrode. The sacrificial rod is taking this negative energy and it's and it's it's uh, eating that away. So these sacrificial bags protect the tank from corroding and we do an annual inspection on those bags make sure they're working if they they're not we've replaced them and that protects the tank for years and years underground hmm. interesting 
Yeah. So, and the you mentioned the salt caverns. Now, I know as Minister of Natural Resources, I had to sign off on storage, but I thought it was mostly natural gas that they were storing um, below ground in well areas. Is that would that be the same for propane, or is that something completely different? Same thing. I, I've never actually seen it myself, but that's what they uh, that's what they do, and they store it in there safely. And uh, but most most propane when you get it in your neighborhood, I guess you could say not your neighborhood, but your your local propane marketer will have an above ground tank, and uh, the, the propane is transported either on rail or or on the on the road. You'll see these big transport trucks carrying propane. They're very roundish, cylindrical white tanks carrying propane in liquid state. They bring it to a plant, they drop it there in the liquid state, and then little bobtails will deliver to residential or factories. Then we separate that gas and and we we um, you know deliver it into cylinders like hundred pound cylinders or forklift cylinders for forklift, or and obviously your barbecue tanks are filled from the uh, the big storage tank at a at a at a yard. Hmm. So, Hugh, what sort of usages uh, and mostly. Re- discussing about trying to talk about off-grid uses that people use propane for because it's a way you can take it in and and I know a lot of the northern communities they in Ontario for example they use ice roads to get a lot of things in for the entire year and what sort of uses do they have for off-grid applications well you think of it like uh, most of the city dwellers um, uh, people live on natural gas and they enjoy the the um you know the nice things about natural gas. You've got a nice. You had a furnace that heats your home. You've got hot water from natural gas. Your stovetop might be on natural gas. But anything, any appliance that runs on natural gas can easily run on propane. And it's just a different uh, change in the orifice. And I can explain that. But basically, off-grid uses of propane will be heat. You know, heating homes, cabins, uh, any outdoor space. Uh, you know, outdoor spaces can be. Anything off the grid can be heated with propane, meaning grid being um, natural gas grid. You can be on the propane, uh, using propane, you can heat your home. Uh, cooking, obviously, stoves, grills uh, are used as portable uh, or in your home to to run, um, to heat and cook. To cook. Um, refrigeration, I mean, you could use propane to, uh, to be your refrigerator. Uh, propane is used um, instead of electricity in that situation. You've got hot water. You've got hot water tanks um, that run that run on propane that give you hot water. You can have lighting with propane. Obviously, power generation is big. You can have a, a, a backup power generator attached to your home, and you can create your own power and living off-grid using propane. And those refrigerators, those propane refrigerators seem to last a long time. Yeah, from all indications that I've seen. Well, it's it's quite a quite an interesting thing. Those uh, those refrigerators run on propane. Uh, propane's in a tube, and because it's easily trans um, easily moves from a vapor to a liquid, you can you can um, you know push liquid in, um, and and what happens is it will push push heat away and draw heat away from something, which creates a refrigeration factor. Because you're changing states from liquid to, to vapor using propane, and you'll be surprised in a, in a lot of um, grocery stores, propane is that inside those tubes that's being used as a refrigerant, and you've got a little electrical motor. But on a on an off grid refrigerator, what's happening is they're using a flame. A small flame creates electricity through a thermocouple, I think, and that creates a small electrical impulse that that powers this change and moves moves the fuel. So it's quite a quite a great thing. You'll see them at hunting cabins. These propane refrigerators, um, you can buy them still today. Obviously, you've got power generation. You can turn on your um, a generator, have a generator running uh, off grid. But uh, refrigeration with propane is uh, works has been working for many many years. Yeah, I know the neighbor up the, up the cottage from us, the camp. She has one that's I don't know how old, but it's got to be. 50 years old sort of thing would they have been around that long for sure yeah for sure at least 60 maybe more than that i i remember back in the day we used to have a cottage on an island and and uh we used to have uh the uh i don't know you the potty the shitter whatever that was that was heated that that was the outhouse, yeah. the outhouse was was uh it was actually at the cottage and you used to go there and they used to t- my aunt used to turn it on and burn off all, all the excrement uh, using propane. 
Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's different. Yeah. I, well, I guess a lot of those ones now, they they actually do that uh, and they burn it all off using, but didn't realize they used propane. I wasn't sure what they used for that. Yeah, they're using propane. Yeah. I guess it's hard to hard to dig if you're on the, sh- you know, on the, uh, the Canadian shield, it's hard to dig, put a, put a. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Dad had the same problem. It was pretty, it was a pretty low hole, shall we say. So I had to get pumped out quite often. But now when you're using things like a, a generator or even a heaters, propane does not provide as hot a heat as say a diesel. Uh, is that something that you're, you're familiar with? Well, I think the better question there is for for people to understand propane and natural gas because they use a lot of natural gas, and I'll I'll get to gasoline and diesel. Okay, so when you compare propane to natural gas, because those fuels are almost identical, they have that. You know, if you think of a stovetop running on natural gas, you've got a beautiful blue flame. Remember your barbecue, you got a beautiful blue flame. Propane is actually two and a half times hotter than natural gas, so you need less propane to create the same BTU, British Thermal Units, of energy heat output. And so think of it like this, um, Jerry. You've got a slurpy straw for natural right. gas. Your orifice is like, like a bigger straw. And propane needs it like a coffee straw. And so we've got these injectors that inject vapor propane or, or vapor gas, natural gas. And so you've got these slurpy straws injecting natural gas into your furnace. And that's what heats your home. With propane, we all, all it's the same furnace. We simply take out these slurpy straws and we put in these coffee straws, these smaller orifices, and now your right. your now your uh, your furnace runs on propane. So mm. for the consumer out there, when they 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 want to bring and they want to have the same amenities that they have at their cottage or their off grid home, they can get anything that runs on natural gas, uh, like an appliance, like a stovetop that runs on natural gas, there'll be a conversion kit to run it on propane. They're even their dryer. If you would like the amenities of a of a natural gas dryer, um, you can get a propane dryer. I have one at my house, a, nat- a propane dryer. It's the greatest thing. I don't use electricity. I'm I'm kind of like off grid, I guess you could say. Um, well, it's it's plugged in, but I mean it's 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 heating with electric with propane, and I have no static electricity. It's amazing. Oh, really? Yeah. So you've got to, you've got, so, because I, I know at the at the camp that we have, we have a propane water heater as well. Actually, I have two of them, one an on-demand and one a, a large, I don't know, it's a 50-gallon one 50 gallon that we can run off propane. Yeah. If you look at, look at my house, I'm, I'm in a municipality, but I have no natural gas and I have no um, septic tank here. So, my house has a has a 500 gallon tank. It holds uh, 1,500 liters of propane. Traditional tanks about 10 feet off the house. It looks it looks like a like a mini submarine. And right, yeah. The appliances I have my house. I've got a propane furnace. I've got a propane water heater, like a 50 gallon water heater. I have right. two fo- propane fireplaces. I have a stovetop on propane. My lawn tractor runs on propane. <laughs> the uh, it's a commercial mower because I have two acres. I cut the grass. I have um, a pool heater on propane. I have um, uh, what else runs on propane? I've got uh, I've got a backup generator that runs on propane. I am completely self sufficient. The power goes out in the neighborhood. My kids are still playing uh, uh, PlayStation, and the, and the lights are on, and my neighbors are looking at me. How the hell is this guy doing it? Well, it's propane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, very interesting. It's Toronto Sportsman Show time, and this year we're part of the entertainment. And by we, we mean the entire Outdoor Journal Radio and Fish in Canada crew. That's right, the entire crew will be in-house hosting live podcasts with guests, interacting with listeners, and fielding questions from our audience all week long, March the 14th to the 17th. Tickets are on sale now, and fans of our show are getting 15% off their admission price by purchasing with the link in our bio. Don't miss this incredible opportunity to spend a weekend with us at Canada's premier event for outdoor enthusiasts. And now it's time for another testimonial for Chaga Health and Wellness. 
Okay, I'm here in Millbrook with Trevor, who had a great experience and wants to share it with us with the skin cream, the Chagas skin cream. Trevor, uh, tell us uh, what you went through and how much you used, and go ahead. I've had eczema on my arm since I was a little kid, and it's always been quite a rough patch there on my arm. Um, and, and no lotion seemed to ever get it so that it was smooth. Right. But using the Chaga probably for three weeks, it feels like normal skin now. Yeah, and how often did you put it on? I put it on maybe once every other day. I didn't remember to do it every day. So, yeah. yeah, but yeah. once every other day, one time a day. Very good, and well, you had good. great results, and now yeah. it's, feels it feels like feels like normal skin again. Very good. Yeah. And you didn't try anything else, so you figured that's what... No, that was the work, so I'm sticking with that. Very good. Well, thanks, Trevor, here in Millbrook. Yeah. We interrupt this program to bring you a special offer from Chaga Health and Wellness. If you've listened this far and you're still wondering about this strange mushroom that I keep talking about and whether you would benefit from it or not, I may have something of interest to you. To thank you for listening to the show, I'm going to make trying Chaga that much easier by giving you a dollar off all our Chaga products at checkout. All you have to do is head over to our website, ChagaHealthAndWellness.com Place a few items in the cart and check out with the code CANOPY C-A-N-O-P-Y If you're new to Chaga I'd highly recommend the regular Chaga tea This comes with 15 tea bags per package and each bag gives you around 5 or 6 cups of tea Hey, thanks for listening Back to the episode Hugh, one of the things that I see on a lot of the off-grid discussions are talks about they're having trouble once the temperature outside reaches a certain temperature that they can't get their propane to flow through. Do you, do you know what about what I'm talking about or what they're talking about? Yeah, that's called vaporization. So so propane, remember I was saying it's a liquid and it needs to boil. And so, so think of it like this, a little barbecue tank, okay, can run a certain size heater. So like a house runs is about 100,000 BTU uh, furnace. And yeah, a barbecue tank can run a home, uh, but eventually what will happen is under um, as the there's an incredible draw and the liquid level in the tank, that liquid level hits the circumference of the tank and that, that which causes it to boil. So propane boils at minus 42, but it needs heat from the outside of the tank to force it to boil. But if you're incredible, if there's incredible draw, the liquid boils to catch up and then what's happening as a liquid level drops, it, there's this frost level that's created where the the, the propane is, is cooling the outside of the tank so much that moisture's freezing onto the tank. You'll see this frost line, and then yep. all of a sudden propane stops boiling. When it stops boiling, you don't you know, your furnace stops because you don't have enough vapor propane to to run the furnace. So you've got to you've got to work with a propane expert to get you the amount of proper vaporization there's charts to, so the larger the tank the more circumference that liquid touches the outside of the tank so outside temperature meaning minus even if it's minus 20 is still warm to min- propane because it boils at minus 42 so the liquid needs to boil to produce vapor that vapor is then consumed by the appliances so you calculate all the BTUs that are in a home and you then you then you right size the size of the tank to ensure that if all those appliances are on that that tank is large enough to allow enough vaporization for the for all the appliances to work. Hmm. So what happens? Because I know some of the discussions were up in Alaska and things like that, where it's minus forty four. What happens in situations like that? Is there anything you can do? Yeah. Uh, well, there, you know, there's 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 uh, in the old days. Um, it's a great question, and and you think of the really cold areas like um, northern Manitoba. Um, they'll have entire communities on propane, and their and their big tanks would be out there, and and it, you know obviously be, be below minus forty two. So what do you do? Well, they, in the old days, they used to put charcoal below the tanks to warm up the tanks. Now nowadays, what we have is we we have these things called vaporizers, and what vaporizers do is they take think of it like a water hot water heater. We draw liquid from the bottom of the tank, and then we we put it through this vaporizer. This this vaporizer basically is a water heater that boils liquid propane, and it and it uses it just heats up like a water heater, propane water heater, and then it creates enough vaporization to then do a whole hotel. So we can heat an entire hotel with a with a, 
a, you know, a smaller tank type of thing, if you can imagine that. So we don't need this massive tank to heat a hotel. We've got, um, you know, six or seven 2,000 gallon tanks hooked up to a vaporizer, and that vaporizer gives us enough vapor for the whole hotel. Really? One of the maple syrup producers that I spoke with said when they have problems like that, they would pour hot water on the tank. Yeah. Do's, don'ts, uh, the pros and cons or something like that? Yeah. You think of it like that, like the liquid propane needs to boil. So obviously you've got your, um, you know, you think about it like that. You've got this this um, burner going to to heat you know, a lot of you're you're trying to get the moisture out of the of the maple syrup, so you've got an incredible amount of BTU load. Um, think of it, it's probably like seven or eight barbecues running, and they probably have a hundred pounder hooked up. And so that hundred pounder is doing all its best to to accommodate all of the all of the burners going. It was probably having no problem at eighty percent. The tanks tanks in our business are filled to eighty percent full is is the maximum we can fill them. But as the liquid level drops, that hundred pound tank looks like a may look like a 30-pound tank, and then as it drops, it looks like a 20-pound tank in circumference around where the liquid touches the outside of the tank. And then you start seeing this frost build up, and then the heater, the, the, the burner starts going down. So they'll take hot water and pour it over the tank, which will temporarily warm up the liquid to give them some more vaporization. But right. the, this is, it's a very uh, short-lived process. The best thing to do is 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 manifold more of these hundred pounders together to allow more vaporization, and then their burners will run the exact hundred percent they want through the full process. Mm, okay, yeah, I was, yeah, I was quite surprised. I didn't realize if, but I didn't know what the impact would be if you started pouring pouring warm water, hot water on a tank. And the the one because um, we did a show with uh, one of the maple syrup producers who should be out now. Uh, on my podcast, and she told me that, yeah, she had a real problem. She just, she her exact words were she's opened the window and pours a pot of water on the tank and everything goes back to normal. Most of the time they use it in what are called finishing tanks. So a lot of the major maple syrup producers will use diesel to run their evaporators and or wood, but then they have what is a finishing tank, which takes it down to basically go from that point where it turns from from sap to syrup. And they put it in a finishing tank. A lot of times they use propane for that. But uh, her tanks were, were freezing up and just, she said, open the window and pour it on and back to normal. Yeah, but, she, she should just uh, consult a propane a, a propane gas fitter will help her add add more tanks. And that vaporization will, will, be, uh, will be resolved with additional tanks connected to her, to her system. Okay, so, and is it just Ontario that has that 80% rule of... Of filling the tank to eighty percent, or is that all over? That's that's every, that's every everywhere in our uh, in our industry. Any any cylinder that's filled um, cannot exceed eighty percent because propane, you know, because we've we've turned it into a, a liquid to transport it, it is affected by temperature. So the warmer it is outside outside in the size of the tanks, that's why propane tanks are are light in color, is because it doesn't reflect the sun as much. It reflects the sun. Um, it, it doesn't attract the sun as much. And so what happens is we want, it, it is the warmer it is outside, the liquid level will actually rise a little bit in the tanks. So we need room for expansion. So the colder it gets, right. the level drops a bit. So that's why 80, tanks are all filled to 80%. So the, the really, really big vessels, they're actually, it's the outdoor temperature. Um, we look at it and we say, okay, the tanks, like this, I'm talking really, really big vessels, like 30,000 gallon mm-hmm. storage tanks. Because it's warm outside, the liquid level has already risen. So we have these gauges on the tank, and we can fill them past eighty percent. We could fill them ninety percent in the summer because it's already warm. But in the winter, we can only fill to eighty percent. Right. I, I recall I used to work in the automotive industry, and the owner of the part supplier that I was working with, he had a gas station, and he always wanted his gas orders in the morning because it would be the gas would. It would be extra. It would contract, and as the days heated up, it would expand, and he would end up getting several hundred more. At that time, it was I think it was still gallons at that time. It was right around the time when we went from gallons to liters, <clears throat> and his gallons would expand. But now, if you read the on the gas pumps, it's fuel adjusted to a certain specific temperature, and obviously, it's the same for propane. 
And that's why it's for expansion reasons. So is it better to fill it when it's cold or when it's warm? You're going to get more? <laughs> Which way? Yeah. Um, no, no, all our, our industry is highly regulated. And so all the, all the meters that, uh, meter chambers that are, when you, you know, you see in a bobtail that's delivering propane, they're what is called temperature compensated. So it doesn't matter what the temperature is outside, if it's hotter or colder, those meters only, they measure exactly a liter of propane, not a spoonful more, not a spoonful less. Um, there's funny funny stories in our industry of a guy compromising his uh, his metering chamber and just doing that, like heating his vehicle, his truck up, bulk truck in a business inside a building, and then going out and rushing out and doing deliveries and and, and, <laughs> and charging his customers a little bit of more gas. But uh, he got caught because his truck vented inside the building that he was he was storing it overnight and blew up his building so he's no longer with us he learned the hard way but yeah, it's, yeah. there's temperature compensating for many reasons uh, obviously we want to be truthful to the client the customer weights and measures is all over it and uh, yeah propane expands but there's there's mechanisms to make sure that the customers get exactly the amount of propane that they, they they've paid for very interesting so Hugh what are some of the reasons why there's such a a large fluctuation in, in propane prices. I mean, it goes up and down like gas, but I know it seems, and I have a a special maple syrup where I use propane, which starts right about now in the middle of February, and where several months ago it would be almost 20 cents is it a pound or a liter difference. Yeah, yeah. What's the, what's the reasons for that? Well, there's, okay, so propane is a commodity, okay? So um, it's like gasoline or diesel. It's, it's, it's a commodity. Um, but there are, there are reasons for the variations in price, and that could be um, the time of the seasonal demand of propane. Um, usually in the winter, there's more being used, in the summer, less being used. Um, there's, there's things that pressure it, which are crude oil prices that can, that can, push pressure on the price of propane because the way we price carbon is we, uh, and I'm talking the uh, refineries, diesel, because that is more carbons is more expensive. Gasoline, less carbons, less expensive. Propane, even less carbons, less expensive. So they price it based on carbons. So a change in the oil price of crude can, can put a direct pressure on propane, but because a lot of propane is now from shale gas, natural gas and propane, are on their own kind of wavelength now, but still oil can affect it. Geo, geopolitical factors can affect propane in the in the oil business. You've got a war going on. Sometimes that can that can escalate it. You've got seasonal issues where, like this year, we've got a warm winter. Propane should be going down. We're going to see a big drop in propane. But yeah, so if you think of it, propane, the price of gasoline. A lot of people see that on the streets. Let's say it's a buck eighty a liter. Propane's uh, relatively half the price of, pro- of of that. So think of it that when you're when you're buying propane, and there's situations where you can um, you know look at uh, considering contracts and, and fixing your rate or going a variable rate, kind of like a bank when you want to go variable mortgage or fixed mortgage, you're going to pay a little right. bit more to get a fixed contract, but you've got some price stability there. It you know. You, the seasonality of propane, you want to buy those fixed contracts in summer. Usually with propane will give be its lowest point around June. So you want to look at buying a fixed rate or a, we call it a, um, a risk managed price kind of in June. And, um, and then that will give you a price for a whole year. Um, and that, that won't matter what happens in the market. Any conditions in the market right. not going to affect you. So, you know, um, we recommend that you know you work with your propane supplier. You can get a fixed rate based on how much you use. You know, if you don't use a lot of propane, you just go in the spot market and, and and away you go. But about half the price of gas is kind of where you want to be. Okay. Now, now you mentioned you know a lot being shipped out everywhere and various factors like the war. So, is a lot of propane being sent over to Europe? There's a there's a lot of propane going to Europe. A lot going to China. Um, but that's a good thing. In fact, the more <clears throat> the more propane that's being created in a domestic market is better for those that are in the market. So think about it. We don't we don't use a lot of propane 
consumption in Canada. I mean, there's a lot being used, but in relatively to what's exported, we 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 export almost 100 times more, 90, 95% more is exported. So that's a good thing. The more there's pr- being produced, the more production, the lower the cost is going to be. So that's good for the Canadian, uh, for ca- people in Canada. Um, it's really, it's fantastic. Yeah. Now, is there any problem with laying the tanks like a hundred pounder or even the 20 or 30 pounders on their side when they're being transported and then using them right after? Well, if you think about it, think of that bottled water or propane, right? So all are the bottle of water. Um, when you tilt that bottle of water on its side, the vapors, the vapor areas up on the top, the challenge with a propane tank, all propane tanks are designed with what is called a relief valve. And there's a valve basically at the top of the tank. So if you think of a barbecue tank valve or a 100-pound tank valve, the relief valve is on the backside. It's basically a spring. And that spring under pressure, so if let's say the tank was uh, overfilled or put it in, in, uh, in a situation where there was flame impingement like a fire, that pressure, that liquid would boil to produce pressure, uh, vapor, that additional vapor in the tank creates pressure, internal pressure, and as that pressure increases, that spring that's on the top of your propane tank gets compressed and releases the vapor pressure to hold up the integrity of the tank. So when you go and transport that tank, we want that vapor uh, valve, that vapor valve where the relief valve is, to be in the vapor zone. So when we transport tanks, Transport Canada wants us to transport them upright, secure, and ventilated. So don't transport your 100-pound tank. Uh, It's got to be an open pickup truck, so it's open air. Strap it. I recommend two straps to hold it in place. And it's ventilated because it's outside and you're good. You don't want to put a... Uh, I mean, back in the old days, we could kids could uh, you could overfill a propane tank. Now you can't overfill a barbecue tank, but we don't want to put it in the back of a trunk. A trunk, um, it's really gets really hot in the in the, in the parking lot, and we don't want that heat to 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 vent that propane because that one propane tank can expand to two hundred and seventy tanks of vapor gas. It could easily fill up your vehicle with with uh, with vapor propane. If it were overfilled and in a very in a, in a hot environment without any ventilation, yeah, with the new SUVs, it makes it difficult for people to to have it uh, transported outside. So in a truck, yes, but uh, in the, in an SUV like the ones that uh, my wife and I have, they have to be inside when we're transporting them. So obviously, it's important to keep it upright as best as possible. Well, you, there's different size tanks, right? So there's there's these squat, f- you know, uh, 40 pounders or 50 pounders that would fit in an SUV. But when you're right. when you're transporting a 100 pounder, just get it one of the on a, fr- a friends with a pickup truck to transport that 100 pounder or or pull a trailer with a, with the 100 pounders connected. You can and any consumer can carry uh, up to five 100 pounders in their in their uh, in their vehicle in like a pickup truck. Yeah, it's so and it's you know is it is it based on so five 100 pounds would equate to what 500 pounds. But you can't do the same with twenty pounders. It's still only five units, correct? Yeah, you could do. Yeah, you can do five. Any consumer without a transportation dangerous goods license can carry five barbecue tanks, five ten pounders, five thirty pounders, forklift tanks. You just have to make sure they're upright, secure, and ventilated. And when it, when it's inside a vehicle, let's say you've got, <clears throat> uh, we always recommend whenever you're transporting your barbecue tank home, um, drivers uh, uh, passenger side move the seat forward, put the tank on the ground there. Um, secure the tank by pushing the seat back. That's going to secure the tank and then right. the window down a little bit. And then you've got, you've got uh, your upright secure ventilated when transporting. Is there, what's the impact for breathing the fumes? Obviously it's very dangerous and you wouldn't want to have any sparks or anything ignited, but is there difficulties in, in the impact on the human body by breathing in any of the fumes? No, so, no. So the, you think about it. Remember, remember, I told you that propane uses a propellant when we uh, we use hair, yep. hairspray. So think of hairspray. Mm-hmm. Um, propane is used as a propellant, non stench propane, but propane is non toxic. So you can breathe in vapor propane and breathe out. It's not going to hurt you, but it's not oxygen. So remember that when you store your propane tanks um, at your cottage or something, it should be. Um, not inside the premise where people are sleeping. So you can store them in outside or an outside shed, 
with, there's no source of ignition, but definitely don't store propane tanks inside a building where anybody's sleeping because um, if propane does vent, one barbecue tank can easily fill up a, a home of vapor gas. Okay. And what's the difficulty or the problems with filling the one-pound tanks that you see for so many of the, the small stoves and, and very small heaters that people use in, in area, different areas? So any Can you give us any insight on that? Because, quite frankly, I know they sell the valves out there, but it's not legal to do. So can you kind of give us a bit of a rundown on that? Yeah. So, you know, you probably see them in the retail stores, those green uh, tanks. They're called uh, one-pounders. In our business, we call them one-pound propane tanks. or Those are called non-refillable propane tanks. So Transport Canada said, hey, well, you can, we can, we can, they've allowed this tank to be in existence. Um, and it's a thinner metal. Um, so it's designed for one-time use, and then after its use, it's it's um, relieved of its pressure of propane, and then it's crushed like a can. And so the challenge with those tanks is because Transport Canada made them such a thin metal, um, they're safe for that one use. But there's um, there's a company out of California that actually made um, because people said, "Oh, I want to I want to reuse these one pounders," so you can actually buy a specific you know, Transport Canada approved or DOT, Department of Transportation approved, refillable one-pounder. They're available. Um, it's a little more expensive tank, but there's a, you know, they're allowed to be refilled. The challenge ref with refilling um, in our industry is that a lot of the dispensers and the equipment that the dispensers, so if you go to Costco or you go to Canadian Tire and want to refill a, a one-pound tank, our industry, our, our scales are not designed for that much precision and so we don't we don't refill one pound propane tanks um because they're one they're not allowed they're uh, one-time use but even the ones that are um renew like able to uh if you go and buy this this one tank uh one pound is a that is refillable um you do it yourself from maybe a small barbecue tank by, by filling Flipping the tank upside down, filling it by liquid yourself, um, right? Because then you're you've got to have a proper scale, because you're talking about milliliters. It's like filling a pop can with a with a barbecue tank. It's a, it's a it's a it's a tiny amount of fuel to fill those one pounders. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's kind of surprising. They they sell these these valves where you hook them to a twenty pound tank. You put your one pounder. I believe the way it works is is in the freezer and then you hook it up and then you open the turn the 20 pounder upside down and you leave it for a period of time and it fills by but, yeah uh, it fills by gravity because you've got the, the barbecue tank hotter than the one pounder and the liquid will rush into the to one pounder but the challenge with that is you could easily overfill the one pounder and yes, and, and absolutely and highly not becomes very dangerous, highly not so. recommended the best thing to do honestly if i if i were you if you if you use a lot of these things whatever that appliance let's say it's a, a tailgating barbecue you're like ah man i use these barbecue you know one pounders all like a ton of them there's a little hose that has the has the end that it look it's a male end that is like it mimics the uh, one pound propane tank and then it, then that hose then hooks up to your barbecue tank so yeah. that's what I would do. Buy that hose. There, you can get it from a company called National Energy Equipment. You can buy them on probably Amazon. Uh, any any um, um, camping store will have them. You've got a tank that has the one connection uh, that looks like your male one-pound propane tank and that it connects right. to, your, to your barbecue. And that gives you – you can now hook up your barbecue tank to it and run like, a, like your barbecue and, and eliminate the use of these one-pounders. Yeah, for we picked up one of those, actually a ten pounder. I think actually an eleven pounder. I think it was tank for my son to to hook up to his heater for his his ice fishing hut. So he's not using the one pounders. He wanted one of these to make it a lot easier. And I know there was one company that that tried in Canada that tried to get the rights to all those one pound tanks to to have a uh, deposit and return on them. And then to be able to refill them, but it never went anywhere. And I know as minister, I believe, and I'm not sure what the stats are now. At one point, though, one of the largest waste units coming out of provincial parks was the one-pound tanks. Because everybody was using them and you couldn't reuse them. So they were throwing them out and it ended up to being one of the largest components for the, the provincial parks to get rid of. 
Yeah, it, it was, and it, it is, and the industry it's it's kind of self regulated. Like, there's value there for a propane company. Pick up the one pounders; they can drain it. They can reuse that liquid propane, um, uh, use it for heating or whatever, and resell it. And they can they can easily crush the the the, the tank and sell the sell the steel as scrap steel. So there's waste management companies that will will go and get them. And there's um, there's a way there's ways for to make it a, a bit of a profitability um, getting these things if you know if you get them in you get them enough of them and, and you have the proper facility to to process them there's a little bit in there it's not great great revenue but it's uh, it, it self manages itself the industry even with barbecue tanks and and any any tank any cylinder can uh, be removed of its liquid and vapor gas and then devalved and then the the components and the 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 metal it can be can be recycled as scrap metal. Yeah. yeah, there's a number of different things that I've seen as well. I've actually have seen where some people have converted the the twenty pound tanks or the thirty pound tanks into into like a cook stove, a wood stove. Yeah, where where they they take the valves off and then they flush out it all with water to make sure it was completely, and then they uh, they they turn that whole stove into a, a the that whole tank, whether it's a 20 pounder or a 30 pounder into a stove, which was rather interesting. I found. Yeah. I know with our uh, 40 pounders, you know, they, they may last 50 years out there in the marketplace. They get recertified every 10 years, but after a certain point, there may be some isolated pitting or, um, you know, corrosion on the tank that they don't, they don't pass a recertification. So those 40, those four uh, twenties, they look like jumbo size barbecue tanks. You see them on the sides of, of, um, trailers and, and cabins and stuff yep. like that but they uh they make a great outdoor fire pit or a really big barbecue uh, uh barbecue hmm. it's fantastic so that's one of the things so there's a recertification process with the tanks as well for the larger tanks uh from 20 up 20 pounds and up basically and it's every 10 years what you were saying yeah in canada it's every 10 years the united states it's 15 years and the recertification uh you know, provided this visual inspection, there's a, there's rules and regulations to recertify a tank, but basically a tank gets sandblasted down, revalved and a new valve goes in, gets repainted and stamped for another 10 years. So it's 10 year increments in Canada, in the United States, okay. it's 15 and then it's five year, uh, five year increments. So I guess when you're buying your tanks, you want to check the, how long, when you're buying a brand new tank, you want to check the date on it to make sure you're getting your full 10 years out of it before you pay for it, right? Yeah, yeah. And the trick in the industry uh, for consumers, um, you um, you go to an exchange facility. So what happens is when your tank's getting to about to expire, you go and exchange that at Home Depot and grab grab one with uh, with a newer date. <laughs> but uh, we used to run that business, and there's uh, you, you know that was part of the part of the task to make sure that it's called exchange all meaning we'll exchange anything with a valve as long as uh, and we didn't care about dates because it was too hard to educate the uh, the retailer retailers to look at dates but that's a good little right. trick if you got an expiring tank you can exchange it and kind of you know yours will be recycled and then there'll be another uh, you've got a you've got a tank uh, that's uh, got more life in it like more to years that's exactly that's exactly what I would do. And I'm using the 30 pounders now. I've pretty much gotten rid of all my 20 pounders except for a smooth couple of applications. But with the 30 pounders, once they've, um, once they have, uh, well, the 20 pounders, because a lot of them are the propane tank ones, once they've expired and they won't be filled at a location, then that's where I go into the, uh, the exchange and then take it and exchange it and, and get another few years out of another one. Yeah. And it works great for a lot of people, but people don't, they don't realize that that option's available. Absolutely, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Any major retailer will take them. Well, Hugh, I really want to thank you for coming on 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 with us, and it's been very, very informative. How do people or find out more about propane, or where can they get in touch with you to find out details, or tell us uh, how they can reach out, or where uh, they can get in touch with your business? 
Well, I think there's a lot of propane marketers wherever you are in Canada. There's 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 lots of propane marketers. Superior being one of the largest is is going to be in your market in most cases. Um, but you know you can learn about propane from going to propane um, propane.ca. It's the Canadian Propane Association. You can learn a lot about propane, all the different uses of it. Some marketers have great websites. Superior has a great website to learn about auto propane or propane for heating your home or or backup generation or things like that so there's so many ways to learn about propane even chat gpt you can go on chat gpt and ask about propane um you'd be surprised all the answers you get but it's uh um, there's lots of great resources out there to learn about it and um ask your local propane guy and he'd be happy to speak about propane i'm sure Well, that's very informative, and we really appreciate you taking the time to inform us about propane and all the options that are available. I know I learned a lot, and I'm sure that our listeners will as well. Thanks for being with us, Hugh. We really appreciate that. Thanks, Jerry. Thank you very much. Okay. I'll talk to you. All the best. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Well, thanks very much, and it's just another thing that people can learn on how to live and and off-grid and be a little bit more out in the bush under the canopy. Back in 2016, Frank and I had a vision to amass the single largest database of muskie angling education material anywhere in the world. Our dream was to harness the knowledge of this amazing community and share it with passionate anglers just like you. Thus, the Ugly Pike podcast was born and quickly grew to become one of the top fishing podcasts in North America. Step into the world of angling adventures and embrace the thrill of the catch with the Ugly Pike podcast. Join us on our quest to understand what makes us different as anglers and to uncover what it takes to go after the infamous fish of 10,000 casts. The Ugly Pike podcast isn't just about fishing. It's about creating a tight-knit community of passionate anglers who share the same love for the sport. Through laughter, through camaraderie, and an unwavering spirit of adventure, this podcast will bring people together. Subscribe now and never miss a moment of our angling adventures. Tight lines, everyone. Find Ugly Pike now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts.